right, we are studying the book of Romans, particularly chapters 12, 13, and 14 this fall. And it is a segment of scripture that inspires us to live a good life in difficult times. That's what the whole book is about, an inspiration to live a good life even in difficult times. During the time of the writing of Romans, the government was in turmoil, the church was divided. Does this sound familiar? And that division was creating all kinds of stress and anxiety in the church, in Christian families, and in societies. And so our study of Romans is poignant. It is relevant. It is important for us to kind of mind the truths of Romans and mind the inspiration of Romans so that we will know how to live an inspired life, to live a good life even in tumultuous times. Now, of course, we here in America right now are in tumultuous times. Our government is in a little bit of turmoil. It's a, in a very awkward transition. I won't get into any details on that, but uh, it is, it's kind of a mess out there. And the political divisions are extreme to the point where we are calling each other enemies because we happen to be a part of a different political background. The church is divided. The capital C church, the universal church in America is divided. It's a slow schism that is happening to the point where politics and church are married. I mean, the ring has been shared, the kiss has happened, church and politics are now inseparable. I think that's a terrible idea. But there are now churches fully and overtly aligned with the Democrat Party. There are churches fully and overtly aligned with the Republican Party. It is very, very sad how that has happened. There are the left churches and the right churches. And it's very difficult to try to, to, try to be a part of something that is not specifically married to politics. That's the goal of Rancho, at least, right? We are not a politically uh, progressive church. We are not a politically conservative church. We are not in bed with any particular political party or any candidate. But it is so diff difficult because all of the language and all of the sort of cultural gravity is pulling us to our camps, right? And you've got to identify. You've got to define, you know, where you're at in church environments. And you've got to go against the other side. I mean, it has really become insane out there. Now, what is trying to emerge is, you can call it whatever you'd like, but some have called it a third way. What's trying to emerge is a church that seems to be aligned with the non-political political movement of Jesus and the non-religious movement of Jesus. So if you're around Rancho at all, you know that the, that the Jesus movement is not about politics and the Jesus movement is not about religion. We'll get to that a little bit later. What the Jesus movement is about is a diverse community of friends rallying together from all corners, right? All political backgrounds, all ethnic backgrounds, every generation piling together as a family of faith with all of our differences, celebrating our differences, talking about our differences, even having healthy disconnects about our differences. But together we're a family of faith, a diverse community of friends advancing the cause of Christ. That's the goal. It is difficult because we're on a, on a hair trigger now. You know, you say something that sounds a little progressive. Ah, you're a progressive church. And people have said that about Rancho. You say something, you know, that sounds conservative. Ah, you're a conservative church. And people have said that about Rancho. We're trying to be a big tent church that we think falls in line not only with the example of Jesus, but the example of the Roman church. I'm a huge fan of the Roman church, the first 300 years of the Roman church. They figured something out in this city. This letter of Romans was written around, you know, mid-50s A.D., but by about 200 A.D., the Roman church was dialed in. They were diverse. 
They welcomed everybody, rich and poor, you know, people from all ethnicities getting together, living as a family of faith, serving each other, and serving the world around them. The Church of Rome really is the bright and shining example of what it means to be a big tent, diverse community of friends advancing the cause of Christ together. And that church was founded on this letter. The, the letter of Romans is found in our Bibles. But I'm telling you, it is not easy to be a big tent, diverse church. It's not easy at all, particularly in a hyper-divided society that we live in right now. It is not easy. But here's the good news. The good news is that the good news does not come from politics. The movement of Jesus was not about politics. He was not a political leader. He, he had no credentials in terms of politics. He didn't come from the right tribe. He didn't come from the right region. He was not educated in the, in the political realms. He was from Nazareth. Nazareth was hillbillies, and they spoke with a twang. I mean, the, the phrase out there is, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. I mean, that's where Jesus came from. He was not an esteemed political figure, so his movement was not about politics. His movement was not about religion either. Jesus was not a religious figure. It's hard for people to, to get their heads around that, but he simply wasn't. I don't think God is particularly happy that, that, that the movement of Jesus is now just like every other religion on earth. Lists of rules and doctrines and all this stuff, right? Jesus was a non-religious figure. He did not come from the schools of religion. He did not come from the schools of the Sadducees or the Pharisees. He was uneducated. So he didn't come from politics and he didn't come from religion. His movement came directly from the kingdom of heaven, which was neither political nor religious. And, and yes, there are political elements to it because it was a movement about you know, justice and affront, uh, uh, confronting oppression. It had some religious overtones because the Jesus movement came from God and it was the kingdom of heaven, but it was not political and it was not religious. It's a movement to bring diverse friends together to advance, as we say, the cause of Christ, of mercy, justice, and love, to advance the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's the mission of Jesus. Not about political movements or religious movements. The good news of following Jesus comes directly from heaven, and that good news is found in Romans 3, particularly 23 and 24. It says this, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning nobody is better than another person. That's certainly not religious, right? Religion is all about who's right, who's wrong, who's the saint, who's the sinner. Jesus had nothing to do with that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all humble. None of us are, perf are perfect. Yet all are made right with God freely by his grace through the forgiveness that came by Jesus Christ. So we're all on the same level playing field. We are all flawed. We all have failures. Yet we are all made right by God through grace in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ forgave us, not based on anything we do, not because we believe the right doctrine, not because we're involved in the right church, not because we are a good person, not because we're religiously devout. None of that matters. God just simply made us all right. He simply forgave us all as a free gift through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Uh, when I introduced this whole concept, I just imagined that God whispers something in our ear, and I'm going to say it here again, and I'm probably going to say it at the end of the series, because this is the good news that can settle in our hearts so profoundly. It's as though God is whispering this in your ear and mine. God is whispering, hey, you. Yeah, you. You and I both know you don't do it all right, to which we'd nod our heads. But just so you know, we're good. I love you like a perfect father would. I've already forgiven you of every failure in your past and every failure in your future. In my eyes, you're my perfect child, 
and don't worry, you don't have to do anything for me. Just know you and I are good. Isn't that incredible? That is good news. That is the gospel. We are forgiven. We're made right with God by Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. We don't have to. He died as a penalty of the world's failures and rose again from the dead in victory. And so we are not defined by our failures. We're defined by the victory in Jesus Christ, who is one with God the Father in heaven. And so we are as well. That is good news. Now, that good news from the first half of Romans inspires the good life of the second half of Romans. The good news inspires a good life. The good news of grace and forgiveness freely given by God through Jesus Christ, that good news inspires a good life. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the good news inspiring us to serve. Romans 12, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. It's not just about lip service. It's not just about love, you know, in an emotional sense, but it's about serving people, taking the, the gifts and skills and abilities that we have and matching them with a passion of the kingdom of heaven and doing something good to serve others. Last week, Megan talked about the good news that inspires us to do good, particularly for people in need. Romans 12, 21, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good, particularly for those who are struggling. Romans 12 talks about really giving and sacrificing our time and our treasure to make sure that people who are struggling get a hand up. And again, our, our fundraiser last night was all about our, our mercy ministries of Community Mission of Hope and, and Rancho Damasitas, housing people, feeding people, mentoring people to self-sufficiency. That's the cause of Christ. That good news of what God does for us inspires us to do good for others. That's one of the reasons I love Rancho so much is we're not just about lip service. We're not just about a feeling. We are an active church engaged in making this dark world a little brighter, advancing the cause of Christ together. So we turn the page from Romans 12 to Romans 13, and this good news of grace inspires us to respect others. Romans 13 talks about respecting others. And as it talks about respecting others, it starts with something that I have to tell you is kind of just bad timing, uh, given the history of the United States of America. But Romans 13 starts by urging us to respect our government. <laughs> Last service, there was a moan. You guys are better behaved. The good news inspires us to respect our government. And that's what the first seven verses of Romans 13 encourage. Now, I would have far preferred to skip this. In fact, there was a moment, a moment of weakness, where I entertained actually skipping these seven verses. <laughs> and I thought, God will forgive me. And God's probably saying, yes, yeah, skip them. And not now, right? But now we're doing it, and uh, I think it'll be okay. Here's how it starts. It's just plain language. By the way, you don't need to tense up. It's going to be okay. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Now, during the time of the writing of the book of Romans, roughly six, or 54 to 56 AD, there was turmoil in the government. There were factions in the government, and that spilled over into societal discord and, and definitely disagreements in the church, right? And there, was, there were arguments within the church. Should we just obey Rome? And there was other people in the church that says, no, we should not obey Rome. They were more maybe, you know, Jewish in their, uh, in their lineage, in their, their nationality, their religion. So they're saying, hey, let's just stick to the Old Testament law. The Gentiles and Romans were saying, no, let's kind of ditch the Old Testament law, rules of books and uh, books of rules and, and things like that. And let's move on to freedom, right? Let's really kind of get with the Roman 
uh, a government, get with the Roman system. And so there was this tension between Jew and Gentile, old covenant and a new covenant that was about to rip this church apart. The same kind of tensions that we're experiencing in our own society today with the church, they were experiencing that same thing. It was all around kind of religion and politics that hit the church and they were tearing each other apart. So we're talking about submitting to government authorities. And when we talk about submitting to government authorities, I can imagine half of America and probably half of our church is saying, seriously, I'm supposed to support the Biden-Harris administration. I'm supposed to submit to and honor the Biden-Harris administration. Are you serious? Yeah, that's what Romans 13 says. And the other half of America and the other half of our church is saying, seriously, was I supposed to submit to the Trump-Pence administration? Yep. Romans 13, really simple. Really simple. Now, we might think, okay, well, the New Testament was, was written about 2,000 years ago, and so maybe the governmental situation 2,000 years ago was more God-honoring than it is today. Maybe we're thinking, okay, it might have been easier for the, the Roman church to submit to the government because the government was in line with the cause of Christ. Well, not so fast, because the emperor at the time was Emperor Nero. That kind of ring a bell for some of you? An evil psychopath, one of the most evil governmental rulers in human history. This is the psychopath who murdered his own mother in broad daylight. This is the psychopath who poisoned his 13-year-old stepbrother because he thought, oh, when he gets old, he might be a hassle, so I'm just going to kill him. The psychopath who murdered two of his wives, one by kicking her in the stomach when she was pregnant. The psychopath who hosted abusive sex parties so grotesque I can't even describe them in public. The psychopath who blamed Christians for burning much of the city of Rome, totally unfounded, and as a result, found an excuse to have, have them crucified by the thousands and burned alive at night. That is Emperor Nero. To which the Apostle Paul writes, everyone must submit to governing authorities. They had it bad. I mean, the whole Republican-Democrat thing that we deal with is nothing. It is the light, lightweight deal here. You talk about first century Rome. When this book was written, we're talking about gnarly stuff. Our stuff, walk in the park. Now, this creates quite a bit of confusion here because the reason why the Apostle Paul says we're to submit to governing authorities is because God put them there. And he goes on later to say submission to government authorities is kind of the same as submission to God himself. And if you don't submit to government authorities, you're not submitting to God. I mean, that's, that's stuff that gets our heads kind of twisted because we might ask the question, well, does that mean God puts governing authorities in place regardless of human effort, regardless of lineage of kings and monarchs, regardless of votes in democratic republics? God just puts them there? Now, one view of God's sovereignty would say, well, yeah, God is sovereign, which means he does everything for us. I think that is a terrible view of sovereignty. I do not think that's a biblical view of sovereignty. The biblical view of sovereignty absolutely has humanity with free will. So I do not believe God does everything for us. I don't think God causes every good thing and causes every evil thing. And I don't think God puts people in their governmental positions. God's sovereignty is more overarching, right? God sets the cosmos in motion. That's a sovereign God setting things in motion. God sets, you know, um, our relationship with him in motion. And then we choose. 
God sets the course of human history in motion, and then we choose. God institutes governments, and then we choose. So it's not that God hand does every single thing for good or for evil, or hand selects politicians. I don't think so. I love how theologian uh, Dr. Greg Herrick uh, puts it. He says, underlying Romans 13.1 is the understanding that government is doing what God appointed it to do. Maintaining harmony among citizens, providing order towards responsible, peaceful living in a fallen world. So in other words, God does not put people in their government positions, but God instituted government. Government is a creation of God. Why? To civilize us. Because if it wasn't for government, we would be barbaric clans. I mean, if you look at, at humanity at its most primitive state, so you talk about early man, even now, when you, when you see uh, humans interacting where there is no government, it is typically tribal barbarianism. That's just the, the primal state of, of humankind. And so God institutes government. You know, read Romans 6. That's a story of how God instituted government. And then later, uh, when you have the nation of Israel, 12 clans who escape slavery from Egypt, you have 12 clans of hundreds of thousands of people wandering in a desert. How do you think that's going to go? In a half an hour, that is going to resort to tribal barbarianism as these tribes are warring against each other, trying to protect themselves or trying to you know, take from others, kill others. That's just what primitive mankind does. So God gives us the gift of government. The first five books of your Bible is a government. When you, when you talk, think about your Bible, think about the first five books of the Bible is God creating a government and giving it to 12 uncivilized tribes. That's how you're gonna avoid killing each other for the most part. This is how you're gonna avoid stealing from each other for the most part. The first five books of the Bible, which include the 10 commandments and 603 laws is a government to Israel. It's not a government for us. It's a government to Israel to civilize them. That's what the first five books of your Bible are all about. When we understand that, wow, that reading the Bible becomes a lot easier, <laughs> a lot more understandable. Because if those laws applied to us today, well, we'd be in a world of hurt. That was for Israel 3,800 years ago, 3,400 years ago. So what we have is examples in God's word of God creating the institution of government. Government exists to civilize people. So here's the overarching point. In any governmental system, whether it's the government that God created to the Jews 3,400 years ago or whether it's the government that we enjoy today, in any governmental system, we're called to submit to the governing authorities, knowing God ordained government to civilize a broken world. So we may not agree with everything our government does. We may not agree with every politician, but we can be thankful. We can be grateful that we have a government. And here in the United States of America, I think we'd agree we have a pretty darn good government, right? Compared to other government systems in the world, we'll take ours. As much as we're kind of a laughingstock right now for all kinds of reasons, we will take our system of government more than probably any other on earth, right? So let's be grateful for a system of government that keeps us civilized keeps us civilized. But here's a question that's begged. What if the government asks us to do something against God's will? What if the government asks us to do something against God's will, which has happened, right? Think of, uh, think of Nazi Germany. This is the most extreme example. Think of Nazi Germany who says to, to its own people as well as uh, governments that they invaded, you have to expose Jews, hand them over. You may not harbor or protect Jews. 
That's a governmental command that's specifically against God's will. Do we obey that government command? The answer is what? No. Of course not. It's a no-brainer. If any government says to do something against God's obvious will, don't do it. Conversely, if the government says don't do something that is expressly God's will, we, we don't obey. This is an escape clause found in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. We must obey God rather than any human authority. We must obey God rather than any human authority. Now, this was in the context of the government coming alongside the church and saying, you can no longer talk about Jesus. Acts chapter 5, the church was growing, and they just crucified the leader of the church, Jesus. But it was said he raised from the dead. He visited hundreds of people after he was raised from the dead. And these hundreds of people started a church and they, man, they were excited, right? And they were growing this church. And so the government authorities said, hey, we crucified your leader. The last thing we want is his movement growing. So we're going to arrest you. We're going to torture you. They even killed some of, the, some of their, their leaders. And they said, you will not speak of Jesus. To which they replied right in their face, we must obey God rather than men. So here we're in a pandemic era, right? And the government says early on in March, you cannot meet as a church. You cannot meet as a church. Some church leaders said, well, you know, we got this Bible thing and we've got um, Hebrews 10.25, which commands us to not forsake meeting together. So some church leaders said, you know what, despite the government order in March, we're going to keep meeting. And some leaders, and we were among them, said, no, let's, you know, things are getting pretty bad. Let's stay at home. And there was a tension, I mean, among not only religious leaders, but among business leaders, because we've got problems here, right? Uh, people need to get together, but then they're at home, and there's all kinds of mental things and emotional things that happen, and, and just bad things happen when you're, when you're at home and, and kind of by yourself for long periods of time. So there was a discussion going on, going on not only among uh, church leaders and religious leaders about when and how can we meet and when and how can't, but also among business leaders as well. You know, business leaders who um, maybe they have a family business that's been around for generations and they did not want to see their business close on their watch. You're talking about kind of small mom and pop shops that, that are, you know, maybe months away from closing if they don't have that income. And so everybody's wrestling with do we comply? Don't we comply? What does the Bible say? Should we obey? Should we not obey? Do we have freedom? And I'm just telling you, it is complicated. It is complicated. Uh, I had a friend of mine who uh, decided to meet early on in, in church, and there was also an order in Riverside County that you could not sing. And he says, you know, I've got my Bible here, and I'm looking at Colossians 3.16, which commands us when we gather to sing. And so they just said, we're going to sing. Now, some church leaders tried their best to do it safely. Others didn't really care and all kinds of conspiracy theories and all that stuff. But I'm just telling you, it was complicated. And it's complicated now, right? In California, tears are changing and, and, and government orders tend to change. That makes it very complicated. It's made more complicated when going to church and look around is much, 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 much safer than going to Walmart. You can't ask for a safer environment than what we're experiencing right here, right? So it's just complicated. Can we treat people like adults? It's made more complicated when, oftentimes, bars are packed and churches are closed. That just doesn't go over well with a lot of people. It's also made more complicated when governmental leaders are caught breaking their own rules. And I'm not going to mention any names, but it's complicated. And so, you know, in any industry you're in, you're going, you and your company are going through the same thing. In your own family decisions, you know, you wake up this morning and you wonder what, what to do. You're going through the same things. It's complicated. So here's what I'm going to 
ask. And I think this is the tone in Romans chapter 13. Most people are doing their best, so give everyone a break. That sound like a, a reasonable thing? Most people are really doing their best. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Most politicians are doing their best, even the ones you disagree with, <laughs> even the ones I disagree with. I really think they're doing their best. Now, the political world tends to be kind of a yucky world at times, right? You're peddling fear to raise money, and religion does the same thing, peddles fear to raise money. And so these two industries are really kind of yucky. But God instituted the, or, or started the institution of government to really bring a societal good. Because without government, as I said earlier, we would be uncivilized barbarians. Government civilizes us. Law civilizes us. And so let's be grateful for government. Let's even be grateful for politicians, even the ones we don't agree with. And let's perhaps assume the best, that maybe they got into it to do good. Let's give people a break. Now, there are definitely some yahoos out there. Yahoo's biblical word from the Greek. No, it's not. There's some yahoos out there that are not paying any attention to public safety. There are yahoos out there, politicians purely in it for themselves. I understand that. But perhaps we can just start with giving people the benefit of the doubt. But here's the overarching point of submission to the government that I think is really powerful. And, and I think it raises our maturity level. So we're not just throwing barbs at each other, accusing each other and calling each other the enemy. This is such a sweet and pure encouragement for all of us to mature in terms of how we perceive our government. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. And I love this because basically what the Apostle Paul is saying is, is submit to the government not because you just have to and not because there's consequences if you don't. You know, let's really elevate our maturity and to say it's not just about laws and rules and punishments and fines and jail time or whatever. Let's really live not to just avoid punishment, but to live a good life. Let's be inspired based on the good news of God's grace to be gracious to others. Let's be inspired to live a life that is so good the laws become irrelevant because we're, we just don't want to hurt people. We want to live with a clear conscience because most laws are intended to avoid hurting people. I'll give you just a few examples. We shouldn't drive 50 miles an hour in a school zone with children on the sidewalk not because we don't want to get a fine and go to traffic school, although I'll take 30 days in jail over going to traffic school myself, but we don't drive 50 in a school zone because we don't want to run over children, right? So we drive slow and careful in a school zone, not because there's a sign that says 25 and not because there could be a motorcycle cop and they're out there trying to bust us and fine us. That's irrelevant. If we live in love, we don't need the sign that says 25 miles an hour, and we don't need the police officer to bust us when we're over. We don't need it because, oh, I'm driving up to a school and there's children. I better drive 25 miles an hour because I don't want to hurt anybody. Same thing with stealing. I don't want to steal something from you, not because I don't want to get caught, but because stealing from you would hurt you. I live at a conscience level, not a law level, right? I'm not going to drive under the influence not because I might lose my license, but because I might hurt somebody. I'm not going to slander somebody, not because I'm trying to avoid being sued, but because I don't want to hurt another human being by the things I say. I'm not going to fudge on taxes, not because I might get caught and fined, but because I want to willingly submit and honor 
the government that I'm a part of by paying what I owe. Now, I know for some of us, I've totally lost you. (laughs) But submitting to laws shouldn't just be about avoiding punishment. It's about doing the right thing. And I want to say it again. I'm not saying every politician's a good one. And I'm not saying every law is a good one. But overarching, God gave us the institution of government to keep us civil. And we're a part of the system that we help to create with every vote. We help to create the system we're in. So whether we like or dislike a politician, like or dislike a law, we're called by God to graciously submit and graciously honor those who serve in our government. Speaking of taxes, Romans 13 goes on. Some of you will be, this will be your favorite passage and and you'll memorize it. Others are like, I'm going to find me a new Bible. Here we go. Pay your taxes. Government workers need to be paid. To which all the government workers in here said, yep, I could use that paycheck. Government workers need to be paid. They are serving God by what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Respect and honor to those who are in authority. That means respecting and honor Trump. That means respecting and honor Biden-Harris. It means respecting and honor our local council, our state officials, our county officials. Respect and honor and submit. They're not all good. Not all the laws are good. But it's a God-created institution to keep us civil. Let's gladly participate. Let's gladly pay our taxes. Now, to be clear, I don't pay more than what I owe. (laughs) Right? I'm going to give you just a little scooch of my political bent. I rarely, if ever, do this, but I'm going to give you just a little tad of my politics here. Feel, feel free to cheer or jeer. I'm a fiscal conservative to the bone. I hate that both Democrat and Republican Party have equally bloated our government. That's just my personal little deal. Take it or leave it. It's not what God says. It's just my little thing. I'm a fiscal conservative. So I hate what the Democrats and Republicans have done to bloat our government. And so I believe I and you are paying way too much taxes for way too many things that are inefficiently, you know, executed here in America. Okay, that's my personal opinion, right? Yet I still willingly and gladly-ish pay my taxes. I don't like every government official. I don't agree with every government official. I don't like or agree with every law. But it's a God-ordained institution to keep us civil, and I'm happy to participate. Now, during the days of the early church... These are the things that the Christian church was funded by paying their taxes. So you can understand why this was a conversation. The Christian church, in paying their taxes gladly, funded the invasion of nations for empire building, funded the grotesque gluttony of its leadership, funded outright genocide of people groups, funded racial oppression, funded oppression of the poor, and funded the crucifixion of Christians. They were paying taxes to fund a government that crucified them. That's a moral dilemma. (laughs) And it's nothing like the moral dilemma we face today. Nothing like it. Even in that situation, we're called to humbly and graciously respect, honor, and to submit to our government. Unless there's a law that specifically tells us to do something against God's will. That's the escape clause. And there's some conversation going, about, going on around that even today in businesses and churches all across America. There's that tension going on today. But get this, Jesus weighed in on this as well. 
In Matthew chapter 23, keep in mind, Jesus does not come from a political line. Jesus does not come from a religious line. So political leaders and religious leaders are trying to trap him because he's pulling people away from politics. He's pulling people away from religion to follow him. And so they try to trap him and say, Jesus, should we pay taxes to the Roman Empire that funds all kinds of horrors? Jesus, should we pay taxes to the Roman Empire? The question is, tell us what you think. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They got him. Because if he says, you know what, they're evil, don't pay your taxes, now he has a bunch of haters who are going to reject him. If he says, yes, pay your taxes, there's going to be a bunch of haters who reject him because we're funding you know, horrific crimes against God. Here's what Jesus answers. He says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them and they disappeared. Jesus said, whose image is on that coin that you're holding? It's Caesar's image. Jesus was saying, that's not ours, it's his. But I worked for it. Your image isn't on that. It's a government symbol of your hard work, no problem. And you can trade that government symbol for goods and services, but it's not ours, it's not our money. Printed, minted by Rome. In our case, our money is printed, minted by the US government. On every single government currency, paper or coin, there are six things on every U.S. currency. One is the value of the money, the year it was issued, the word liberty has to be on there somewhere, the phrase e purbolis unum, many out of, one, or out of many one, in God we trust, and the United States of America has to be on there. That's a lot to put on a dime, but it's all on there. The United States of America is, a, is an insignia on every American currency. It's the same as the face of Caesar during the time of Christ. That money really isn't ours. It's a symbol that we use based on what we've done. All of our money is issued by the U.S. government. All of our money is backed by the good faith of the U.S. government. Much of our deposits are insured by the U.S. government. U.S. banks are backed by the U.S. government. The vast majority of our mortgages are actually held, purchased by the U.S. government. The financial infrastructure is a function of the U.S. government. Policies that, de that determine our financial future come from the U.S. government. And so when it comes to our money, keep in mind that yes, we did work, and yes, we were given a symbol of that hard work, and we can take that symbol of our hard work and actually trade it for things that we get to enjoy. But it's a purely governmental system that we're in. And, and understanding that allows us, I think, a little bit of a better attitude that says, you know what, I'm going to thank God for government. The concept of government keeps us all civil. I'm going to thank God for our government, whether I agree with any particular politician, locally, county, state, or federal. I'm, I'm going to thank God for this government that we have. I'm going to honor them. I'm going to submit to them. I'm going to respect to them. Respect them. I'm going to be free to tell them when I disagree. I'm going to be free to vote, but I'm going to honor, respect, and submit because that is what I'm called to do by God. And here's a little punchline. Some of you will look at me cross-eyed. It's just government. It's not even that big a deal. <laughs> it's just government. What do I mean it's just government? They run everything. Well, I get that, but it's just government. Governments come and go. We're talking about the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire doesn't exist anymore. By the fourth century, that was gone. The massive global empire was gone in a few hundred years. Governments come and go. The U.S. government is fairly new. Hope it sticks around for a while. The Republican Party is 150 years old. The Democrat Party is 150 years old. And they'll go away at some point. Maybe not in our lifetime, but they'll come and they'll go. These are just 
empires. They're just political empires and they come and go. I'm not saying government's not important. It is, but it's not that important. Money is important, but it's not that important. What's really important is the love that we've received from God and the love that we get to share in our homes. And you get to share that love regardless of who's president, regardless of who's in power. It's just government. But you get to love your family well because you're loved by God. You get to love your friends well. You get to love the stranger well. You get to love somebody in need well. You get to be inspired by the love of God to live a life the way Romans 12, 13, and 14 lays out. And part of that inspiration is to say, you know what? I'm grateful for my government. Don't like this or that, but I'm grateful for my government. I'm going to submit and I'm going to honor and I'm going to respect because it's the right thing to do. And I'm going to live a good life, not because the government's all over my case and threatening me, but I'm going to live a good life because I'm inspired by the goodness of God. And I want to live for the benefit of other people the way Jesus lived for my benefit and died for my benefit to forgive me and bring me into a right relationship with God. I get to live that kind of a good life for others. That's a life well lived. That's serving a king and a kingdom that isn't from politics and isn't from religion. It is a third way that is advancing the love of the kingdom of heaven on earth today as we speak. And that's the pleasure of, of following Jesus Christ and being a part of, of advancing the cause of Christ through his church, bringing heaven to earth. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, the truth of Romans 13. It would have been so easy to skip this one, but... Um, it is something that, that reveals our, our heart. Are, are we motivated by politics? Are we motivated by religion? Are we motivated by an unholy alliance between politics and religion? Jesus didn't come from either. His was a pure movement of heaven, bringing love and grace and forgiveness, bringing this, this truth that you're a heavenly father who loves us, who forgives us through Christ Jesus, and who raises us to live a new life, a life of love, a life that serve other, serves others, a life of humility, a life of grace, a life of respect, a life of honor, a life well-lived, a life inspired by this good news of your grace given freely through Jesus Christ, unconditionally through Jesus Christ. You just love us like a perfect heavenly father. You forgive us of everything we've done in the past or the future. You declare us perfect in your eyes. And so, God, may that grace inspire us to live a good life that lives for the benefit of others, that lives to lift up those who are in need, that lives to, to free the oppressed, that lives to, to give a hand up to people who just need a, a partner and they need someone to come alongside of them and take them to that next place of, of, of dignity and self-respect. Thank you that we are a diverse community of friends advancing the cause of Christ through mercy, justice, and love. We come from the left, we come from the right, we come from blue, we come from red, we come from liberal, we come from conservative, and we are all here together motivated by the kingdom of heaven. Not by politics, not by religion, but the love of heaven that we get to enjoy, that we get to share at home, and we get to share with the world around us. Let that be our inspiration. In Christ's name we pray, and everybody say it.